Hello, everybody. This is Hear Her Sports, the female athlete podcast, and I am your host, Elizabeth Emery. We are still in the early stages of COVID-19, sheltering in place. I hope you are all doing really well and maintaining health and composure. I've scheduled some guests with that in mind, so stay tuned. And today we have a terrific guest, Sarah Kelleher, who has useful strategies we can all employ to be our best under pressure, both on and off the pitch, as she would say. A quick note that this episode was recorded two weeks ago, which I only mentioned because late in our conversation, we laugh about not being able to travel. It seemed funny back then. I do hope, however, in these coronavirus times, we still have time for storytelling and stories in female voices. Let's not drown out inspiration and motivation with pandemic obsession. Anyway, let's get to it. Sarah Kelleher is a high-performance coach and strategic consultant supporting individuals, teams, and organizations to flourish by unlocking real and tangible performance in people. She is associate consultant team coach at Leading Edge, a performance coaching company. Sarah has been involved in high-performance coaching at the international level for over eight years, currently in her sixth cycle as lead coach, England Hockey Under-18 Girls, with experience as assistant coach to GB England Under-21s. And we're talking field hockey here. This extensive coaching, combined with her own senior international playing career, spanning 10 years, and as Irish captain, provides her with an in-depth understanding of what it takes to maximize performance in a team. Sarah specializes in the power of storytelling, develops in teams an understanding of risk-reward, creativity, common chaos, and is a strong advocate for other women succeeding. Welcome, Sarah. It is really terrific to have you here. Thank you very much. A real pleasure. Yeah, so I think I need to start just asking you, what exactly are we talking about in your kind of coaching? Because it does seem a little different. Yeah, I mean, I think my journey to coaching very much came from the value of what I grew and gained as a person through my own sports experiences and realized that I I grew not just as a hockey player, but grew very much as a person. And also recognizing that actually when I was at my best, I was I was very much valued and, and seen by the coaches around me and the people around me. And so I've really become interested in around how do you create environments where people can really flourish, where players can really flourish as people grow, obviously, to be their best on the pitch, but also take those experiences into life and uh, really, really develop. So, yeah, so I think a lot of the influences around flourishing and growing as a leader yourself and finding your voice and being able to express your individuality sits very much at the heart of of my philosophy of coaching. Have you figured out sort of key elements in an organization and a team that allows employees and, you know, athletes to flourish? Because it's such an interesting situation and it can go awry real quick. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I obviously have learned a lot through the sporting environment. Like, oh, it sort of feels like sports sometimes a microcosm of life and the experiences you've learned, you know, the intensity of what you can learn in a weekend, you know, it could be a year sometimes in inverted commas in the real world. And I think you get put into really high pressured uh, situations and you learn a lot about yourself. And, and oftentimes the stories or the metaphors of sports can be really useful in business as well. And so actually I've used a lot of what I've learned in sports in business and, and equally what I've learned in business in sports as well. So 
I do work now with a, a company called Leading Edge, where we, we really do a lot of work with leadership development, highly effective teams and change management. And there's some real common aspects. If you look at highly effective teams, you know, they, they have a real sense of purpose. They know why they're there. They really do care for each other. You know, I think people need to have that sense of belonging where they do feel valued and their individual self as part of a team is really valued within that as well. So I think there's a number of recurring teams that you can put into place across, you know, sport and business to really create, you know, environments where people do really flourish. As a leader, how are you able to encourage your athletes and the people that you're consulting with? How do you encourage them to feel valued? Like what are some really specific tactics that you're using? Yeah, I think one of the key things from a very early process is getting people to share their own personal stories. Mm -hmm. And I think often when we tell our own personal story, we understand better why we are somewhere or, you know, what is important to us? What are we good at? uh, What have we learned from the challenges? I think creating an environment where people feel are free to be vulnerable and share their stories. But when you are sharing your stories, that you have people who are really listening to you and hearing you and helping you to understand yourself through that process. Um, so with our England under 18, our very first camp, we, we kind of build a pyramid of success and right at the bottom of it from a hockey point of view is play fast, play forward, play hard. But from the very outset, the very first camp, we, we also call it a storytelling camp where we, we talk about our story, our journey, our dreams, and what are our dreams and what's the story that we want to create and the experience we create. Because I think often when you go on a journey, you know, you will remember some parts of that journey for life and they'll stay with you. And I think as a coach, you need to recognize you have that, you know, privilege in your hands around how you can shape that environment. So actually getting people aware of the story that they are creating and that it's in their hands is something that I think is really important within that. And also creating an environment where people feel that they have a voice and that they are heard. So we we really look to create an environment with a lot of player ownership, a lot of player engagement. We talk a lot about within our uh, England hockey world around creating players who are very self-organizing. And so ultimately, they're going to be the decision makers on the pitch. So we need to create an environment that really allows them to be that and to own their journey. And that you as a coach, you're you're a facilitator of that. And I think knowing your role within that, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. When you first started talking, it reminded me of when I bike raced and being on a team, you know, the best teams that I was on really valued the skills and genetic talents that each of the riders had and took advantage of those and really... I don't know, celebrated what those were and weren't trying to make, for example, a sprinter into a climber. Yeah, and I think absolutely that. I think uh, like a foundation of this is around celebrating people's strengths. And actually, you know, often even if you ask a person, you know, a young player, a person even in the workforce, what are your strengths? People can find that a difficult question to answer. So one of our tasks we often give and give people I'm coaching as well, life coaching is, you know, like I have a walk to the train station here. Can you for 10 minutes walk to the train station and just talk to yourself about all of your strengths? And if you get distracted, come back to that again and being aware of those and celebrating those. And I think the best teams are when we know that we absolutely are playing to the strengths of each other within that and how they fit together. Now, that doesn't mean you don't look at the parts of your your game or who you are as a person that needs developing. Of course you do. 
But often if we go through that strength view, you know, we can pull those other pieces with us in a more positive way. Mm -hmm. The other thing that you you mentioned was talking to the players or the, the people in the organization of why they're there. Is there a huge range of reasons why people are on a sports team? Absolutely. You know, and I think one of the things we would do a lot of work on is actually what's our higher purpose here? You know, yeah, of course, it's, you know, this year we're playing in a in a Europeans in, in Russia. And absolutely, it's to go out there and come back with medals. You know, if your best is to win medals, well, that's what we're going to absolutely go for. But equally, with a lot of these players, they're also about growing and developing and thinking about being future Olympians. And some players, you know, won't go down that path. They may ultimately, you know, go and become doctors or, you know, do some other life passions. But acknowledging what sport can give you and you as a person and your development and finding out what that is for each individual and how we can help them grow. And then actually as a team, what are we about? And, you know, who do we want to be on this journey and how do we want to travel? And I think when you have that higher, higher purpose, it really does, you know, free you up. So I think if you look at the, the GB girls winning the medal in Rio, you know, you think winning a medal at the Olympics is pretty much a, a high purpose. And of course it is. But they actually had a higher purpose, which was around leaving a legacy and inspiring the future and being the difference. And I think when you have a purpose that's higher than yourself, you freeze you up in the moment to perform at a higher level as well. So getting clearer about your why and how that unites you as a group is something that I think is important focus. And I don't think you can do that in day one. You kind of have to go on a journey with that and see how it emerges because it's going to be different for, for each group. And certainly in environments where I work, it's around creating space for that purpose to emerge and allowing the players to really have a sense of ownership of that or the teams within an organization to really have a sense of ownership of that. So they, they feel that they've created that or co-created together. How do you meld sort of the divergent purposes? You know, you mentioned, for example, the person that wants to go to the Olympics and maybe somebody who is just going to, you know, continue on with a non-sporting life. So how do you meld that within a team at that moment? Yeah, and I, I think it is about having those that sense of togetherness about what does our togetherness look and feel like and having some real commonality about that and how we want to travel and journey we have. And we might all have specific goals and ambitions that we may have out of the back of that. But if you can put the team and what you're capable of achieving together and the impact that can have, I think you can get to a place where people feel united. Mm -hmm. uh, you may always have a few outliers. And I think that's the beauty of any environment is how, how do you, you know, keep a group together that may have people with different voices or opinions or not quite playing to the game in the same way as everyone else. And, you know, certainly my beliefs around that is that, you know, sports and teams should have space for those people, but they still have to kind of, you know, find a way to make sure they work within that environment. And, you know, if you give people space, they often gravitate to that because actually togetherness and achieving together is actually quite a, an addictive feeling and it actually feels good. And so once people get a taste of that success or a taste of that impact of being able to really work cohesively as a unit, then they usually want more of that. That's hard to find. <laughs> yeah, it, absolutely. And we just, yeah, we, we just recently had a camp where it was all around finding flow, calm and the chaos. And I think the beauty of sport is, is that ability to be in flow with others and the connectivity you have. And there's just 
there's no greater feeling of being in flow, not just as an individual, but with others. Right. And I think, you know, all the re- research shows that's when we're at our happiest and at best. And you will find that sense of flow when you are challenged and working at the edge of your comfort zone. But you also feel safe. You know, you also have that safety within it. And uh, we'll find that flow in our work or we'll find that flow on a hockey pitch. And again, I think once you have that, you want more of that feeling. You're, you're fully alive and fully present to, to being your best in that moment. That's great. Yeah, I love it. You talk a lot about purpose, and I think for me personally, I, I find it very hard to know my purpose or to come up with my purpose. How are you <laughs> How are you getting your athletes and the people in your organizations to figure what that is? I mean, I, I don't think that most people know what their higher purpose is. Well, I think a lot of times people just don't give themselves the time to really explore that or recognize how important and how useful it is. And also at what level like a purpose works out. You know, my journey went on, you know, setting myself quite specific goals and often kind of missing milestones and getting frustrated to recognizing, actually, if you reset that to, you know, something that's working at a higher level, you find a kind of easier way to travel and navigate. And maybe you don't quite meet this sort of initial understanding of where you thought you might be, but over the journey, you get there. So I run retreats out in Italy as well. We have flourishing retreats and we had a group of people at our last retreat. And one of the big parts of that was actually people looking to find their purpose. I mean, it sounds a bit, you know, life purpose. (laughs) And, uh, you know, but actually, you know, people came and said, I don't know, I have no idea what my purpose is. And we actually use the medium of Lego. So I'm a Lego serious play facilitator went and got qualified that last year and use Lego quite a bit in different workshops now. And one of the things that allows you to do is to be more playful, but it allows you to tap into that sort of inner consciousness where we've a lot of wisdom and that sometimes it isn't sort of practical ways of getting there. It's about going into that space and really listening to your intuition and, you know, what you want and where will that take you. You know, we left that session initially with everyone having a real sense of life purpose. Wow. That has really guided them. And, you know, it felt very, very powerful. You know, even if you look at all the research around purpose, how important it is in life. And I love Angela Duckworth's work on grit. And, you know, people who have grit have that long term passion and perseverance to their goals. But they often have a purpose that's bigger than themselves. And I think going and finding what that is, and it isn't something that you can click your fingers and have. But it was also interesting that some research I came across, a lot of younger people previously would have had a higher purpose by the time they hit their 20s or into their 20s, whereas now actually there's less of that. So society doesn't always kind of allow us to find that in the same way. So it's not something you can force. You can definitely look to create a space where that that emerges. But as a team, we do a lot of work in organizations where we facilitate a space for that group to really understand the higher purpose that's going to really shape them as a group. And if you facilitate that well and create space, people, you know, in all my experiences get there. And then it's, of course, turning that into, okay, behaviors and turning that into values and turning that into habits and making it come to life in the everyday. And that's where often the kind of the hard work kind of starts to make sure that you live that purpose then as well. Mm-hmm. Can you give us some examples of some of the higher purposes that came out of that Italian retreat? Yeah, so we worked with one uh, super talented advertising executive in the world of advertising, and hers was very much around putting a smile on the face of one or millions through the work that she does. Actually, she's an incredible 
strategic mind and, you know, the ad campaigns she does have really changed so many lives. And the campaigns she has done have had such positive impact in the world around us. And I think just getting that sense of clarity for her was really, really just uh, reaffirming within that. So even through my journey, I've come to my life purpose, which is, you know, very much around supporting people to flourish. But I have a big area where actually there's a real purpose around supporting females to flourish, you know, in life, in sport, in business, you know, and actually since I've set that purpose, it's amazing how many opportunities just doors keep opening with that in mind. And now so much of the work that I do seems to be very much in that area. So I'm like working with Sport England over here on their female coaching strategy, even doing some work for a lot of brands around female leadership in the sporting world and in the business world. So yeah, I think it's it's interesting how it sort of shapes the world around you, sort of like a gravitational pull as well. One of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you for the podcast was your work on creativity and your your study of creativity in sport. Can you talk about what that actually is? Yeah, and I, I think probably going back to what I talked about right up front is, you know, the environment that you look to create is where people can actually really express themselves um, and their individuality. A lot of people will say that they're not creative. And I think sometimes it's around, you know, crashing through the myths of what creativity is. And it's very much around being able to connect two different things together. And whatever comes out of that is, you know, whether it's solving problems or seeing connections in a way that other people mightn't see connections. And I think we all see the world differently and being able to really appreciate that. And if we put our heads together, we look at each other's worlds from different points of view, we'll also be more creative as a group. At the heart of a lot of the work, particularly with young players, but also you see it massively within, within business, is this idea of allowing failure and allowing mistakes and actually being free to fail, free to make mistakes so that you can learn from them. So a lot is creating that environment where actually you celebrate mistakes. And, you know, within the business world, a lot of it's around that, you know, the fail fast, you know, succeed quicker mentality. And it's not always easy um, because culture and society doesn't always allow you or code mistakes and failure is worthwhile and taking risks. So a big unlocking of creativity is understanding how to take risks and and to do it in a way that still feels safe. So a lot of my work would be underpinned by the work on understanding flow and when we're at our best. And to understand flow, we need to have the balance between challenge and skill. And, you know, if we get the sweet spot between the two of those, we can really go into flow. And flow is that sort of works at that next level of consciousness where we are our most creative self. So how do you create the environment where people can tap into that? But to, to really acknowledge to grow and to sort of stay in flow, you have to play at the edge of your comfort zone. So being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so creating that environment is absolutely sort of key to how I would really look to celebrate creativity. And and then I think the key thing from coach, you gotta, you got to walk the talk if you've opened the door to that. And if somebody tries something and the impact and the consequence in a, a certain moment you know, uh, may have a negative impact on the game. You've got to be able to back that moment and say, was the intent right there? And what are we learning from it? And, you know, especially in a development arena, I think that's really important. But I, I'd probably argue that's probably important the whole way through life because it's incredible, the upside of taking risks. Mm-hmm. What I think about is 
you know, like mistakes in sport is really interesting because, as you said, it does mean going to the edge of your ability. And I think it's hard to get to that point where you're willing to, you know, put yourself at such an edge that you perhaps will come in last. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and maybe maybe there's a time when that might be the case. But how do you react to that? And what do you learn from that? And we often see the most successful people talk about those failures in their life was the turning point or when they learn something really deep and meaningful about themselves. So in that moment, when you're in that dip of experience, it doesn't feel good. And it's often through retrospect that you realize how much you've learned in that space. So I, I loved Coach Jack, how she talked around going from fail to flourish. Mm-hmm. And I think understanding more when you're in that pit of failure, that this is a moment that will allow you to flourish as well. And actually learning to grow while you're in that moment, not just like a year later and reflecting back on it. Can we, can we grow that muscle quicker to recognize what's good in that moment and take it forward? And of course, it's, it's an absolute process. But also, you know, if you look at success, actually, the the people and the teams that take most risks are ultimately the people and the teams that succeed more over time. Um, and they have more answers because we know life is chaotic and chaos is at the heart of sport. And, you know, you've got to find your way through that. And, you know, it throws curveballs that you never expected. So you just need to have that muscle to be ready to deal with whatever comes. And I think being open to taking risks is, is part of that. Well, that's where the biggest rewards come also when you're right at that edge absolutely yeah yeah risk it's risk reward and I, I think teaching young players that risk reward you know there's times when to take high risk and there's times to play it more safe however if you don't ever go on that pendulum and take risks because a lot of people play the safe all the time you're not learning so you have to go sometimes maybe pendulum swing more to the risk to get the rewards and just teaching people how to play on that pendulum and that scale, I think, is a key thing to know within within sport, within life. Mm-hmm. How are your athletes reacting to coming into your team? I mean, a lot of this stuff, I imagine that they haven't seen or experienced prior. We wrap our kind of environment in around some key themes, and it's around trying to really engage them in those themes, whether, you know, very early on the program, we have a creativity camp. I think that's about setting the tone around making mistakes and trying things. And I think they feel very liberated. And oftentimes one of the biggest feedback around the program is actually I started to allow myself to make mistakes and try stuff. And I think, you know, growing confidence in life, in sport is all about doing stuff. Um, You grow confidence by trying things and learning from mistakes and growing and doing it better. And so if you don't try stuff, you know, and succeed and maybe fail, but you move forward, I think, and create an environment, then it can be more challenging. So I think hopefully they're learning a lot about themselves as people and players. We have a grit camp that we will do later on in the program. And we'll talk a lot about the science of grit. And, you know, some of the players will talk about how that's really helped them with their studies as well and understanding how to grow that sort of self-perseverance aspect. And we'll do a lot of work around character. So Martin Seligman's 24 character strengths we'll do that survey and really understand what are our top five strengths as players as people the character that that we bring to the group and I think that's something that's really powerful and the players go off and creatively bring to life their character strengths so they very much engage with the material and come up with some really creative stuff to bring their stories to life so we're doing a express yourself 
competition between players at the moment. Every week, different players pair up and they come up with something that expresses their individuality. And some of the stuff is really, really cool. And, you know, it's, it's got a hockey theme to it, but it goes beyond that as well. So, so they very much engage with it and come up with ideas themselves and kind of come up and, you know, you're always asking them, what else can we do? And have you ideas? And they, they do, they come up with some really good stuff. Can you talk also about chaos and inserting chaos into your training? Yeah, so I was saying we had a Finding Flow camp in the chaos camp only in February. And we were playing a series of games against Ireland. So for some of the players, it was their first international games. And so we will obviously have shared this as a theme and we'll have primed the group. And one of the things us as coaches will have done is not turn up for their team talk before their first game against Ireland and they'll have to self-organize themselves and get themselves sorted where they're playing and how they're going to play. And then uh, we'll throw some curveballs around people having to play out of position to get them to swap hockey sticks, which they don't like doing at all. <laughs> yeah. And we'll just follow the sort of scenario of the game. So one point, you know, it made sense for us to take the keeper off to see if we could find a way to win the game. And we're like, guys, do you want to do this? And they're like, well, chaos camp, let's go for it. And that's really about preparing them for chaos that does come. So last year we played in the Six Nations and we're going out to play Holland at 10 a.m. in the morning and there's glass all over the hockey pitch. So we didn't get to play that game till seven in the evening. And that could throw a team off, but because we'd practiced being calm in the chaos, the players really took ownership of their day. And by the time it came to 7 p.m., we were on it. I think we scored a goal within the first two minutes. Mm. And it was a two-all Collins. We would have liked to come out the other side with a win. But still, that was a really good a good performance, good result. You could see the Dutch were on a sort of back foot. And they may not manage their day quite in the same way. Right. And, you know, the girls knew what was good for them that day. And so they stayed together as a tight-knit group. And they actually wrote a song a gratitude song for their parents because we were having a parents party as part of the tournament to say thank you for all the, the support they give. And they wrote the song and then they sang it to the parents at the party. And, you know, anything that's great, you know, togetherness and maybe a bit more lighthearted, you know, what are the things that are going to allow you to relax, but also stay focused and work together as a team. And, and that was their solution to that in that day. And, you know, they went out and did some nice stretching, but played some balloon games and, while they were there and then they were ready to switch on by the end of the day. So I think creating scenarios and what if, and so creating scenarios where you're two one down and it's the final and how do you find, you know, a way to win here. I think those prepare you for those scenarios that come, whatever they might look and feel like we never quite know what's coming our way. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I keep thinking about when you're talking about trying and being willing to go up against that edge of mistake and risk how do you balance that with competition and the desire to win? Because at a certain point, if you're focused on experimentation and trying and being willing to have mistakes, there is that, you know, you can forget about the point of winning. Yeah, and I, I think one of our key, we talk about end of mind principles within England hockey and uh, what it takes to win. Attitude is at the heart of that. But equally, the process is what's the real focus if you overly focus on the outcome without really the focus on the process it can kind of get in the way at times so right. what's the process how do you find the way to win the winning is in there but it's the finding of it's the process of and we know that actually you know if we go into our comfort zone or our safe zone 
then we're going to be less challenging to play against. We're going to be less open to seeing that moment of risk and absolutely going for it. We become predictable. Whereas actually, if you're playing flowing and fluid hockey and being unpredictable, then you've got to do things that people don't expect. And that only comes from taking some risks. And the balance of growing along that sort of pendulum of risk reward, I think players will learn to know when to take more risk and when to play it safe. There's times, obviously, you're two one up in the game and there's five minutes left. How you play the game is completely different to being two one down at that point. So understanding game management and phase management and the mentality that goes with that is all part and parcel. Like, at least once you have the repertoire of being able to go to risk, then you can really start layering in the decision-making about risk-reward and knowing what's a good decision at this moment. And I think you can tell people what these are, but telling we know doesn't quite work. People have to kind of find that out themselves through experience. And when they do, they own it more powerfully. So if you're training and you're lower-risk games in some sense, you know, you're able to play with all of this by the time it gets to a European. You're able to turn that up at another dial. You know, and we're also in the business of, of creating future players to be Olympians. So this is development. So some of the risks they take here mightn't quite come off. And it may be the thing that allows them to grow as they go further on. Right. But they'll grow more through that process of absolutely being free to express themselves and try things. You know, some of the things they come up with, I'm like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> and people say, did you coach that? I'm like, yeah, I did, really. No, but I haven't because <laughs> they've just done it, you know? So, yeah, and you're like, that's, that's brilliant. Since process is so important, how does competition fit into your philosophy? And, and what does it offer that just training alone wouldn't offer? Oh, gosh, don't you love it? you got to love, you know, walking onto that pitch, <laughs> looking at the opposition in the eyes, having a one-to-one battle with the player you're marking. You know, you t- I think you grow so much as people and as a team by challenge. It's challenging yourself, isn't it? You're being challenged. You know, your opposition gives you more challenge and we grow through challenge. And so you welcome it. You, you want it. You want that competition, that arena. It allows you to test how far you've come and where you can go next. So it's part and parcel of, you know, you growing as a, as a player and, and your development. You know, the taste of success, I think, is so important. And you might come off that pitch and you haven't got the results you want, but you know that you've given every single thing, you know, to do your best. And to know that, you know, really, really frees you up. I think John Wooden was a big influence on me as obviously a successful basketball coach, but, you know, his mantra around success is being the best that you can be. And I think knowing that, I think it's so important that when you walk off the pitch that you absolutely have given it everything, that you have tried everything, you know, whatever challenges come your way, you've, you've looked at it and try to find the solutions. And you might not have all the answers now, but you're certainly thinking about it and learning about it and going to build on it for the next game or going away and working hard. And I think that's where sort of mastery comes in. You're always curious about how you can get better. And the, the game and competition allows you to really test that, to go to that next level. So you got to love it. You got to love it. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a good feeling winning too. So why not have some? Sure, sure. Yeah. And how do those ideas fit into the business world? Where does competition fit in? Yeah, and I think one of the biggest things around competition is respect. Like you respect the other team. And I think when you get to that point, you respect that you're challenging each other on that level. And together you're raising the game. 
together, you're taking your sport or your business world to another place. And understanding that, I think, is really important. And it's really interesting because actually when you are at your best, both in business and in a sports world or you as an individual, you're not comparing yourself to others. You're motivated internally by understanding who you are and your place in the world and what you're good at and really putting that focus in place. So yeah, that doesn't mean you don't analyze your competition and know their strengths and know their weaknesses. And, you know, in a business world, understanding, you know, why that brand owns that part of the market, but you as a brand or an organization, this is the part of the market that you're going after. And this is your purpose as an organization and playing to that purpose. And, and organizations that are most successful have that purpose really clear. And they have that focus on themselves as always, you know, going that next level to, to be better within what they do. So I think there's massive similarities between sport and business and that like. You've talked a lot about loving the sport and loving competition, but there's always going to be those moments that are really hard, that are really stressful, either technically difficult or just outright fatigue. How are you training your athletes to love the sport in those difficult times to, you know, to still understand why they're out there and enjoy it and not get sort of bogged down by the difficulty? So my mantra is true effort comes magic. And so if you look at all success, you know, real success in life, you know, sometimes it looks like it's been easy for those who are successful. But if you look at the story beneath that, they have most often put in such effort to get to where they are. They've put in the hard work. They've gone through the difficulties and the challenges. And so understanding the value of effort and putting in that work and uh, working through the real challenges and obstacles, you've got to make that as a clear understanding for everyone that is part and parcel of you being successful and celebrating that and making that a real positive, that effort in itself is, is something to be truly celebrated. And again, you know, all the work on growth mindset uh, that Carl Dweck has done, you know, we know that hard work trumps talent and we tell that story to players and we celebrate that. You know, as a young player, I would get a bucket of balls and spend hours just working myself. My skirting board at home was wrecked from hockey balls, you know. And so it's, it's giving people the understanding. If they put the work in, the success will follow, you know, through that process. And that's something that you can own and that's something within your control. And, you know, for all the players that have gone through the under 18s and now many of those are now playing at senior level with GB, you can see that that effort has absolutely stood to them, the work rate that they put into their game. And actually, if you put in that effort, then it, it results in you playing in an effortless way. But to get to effortless, you've got to put that effortful focus in there as well. So you've got to celebrate that. You've got to make that as much as the end output that has to be celebrated as much and if not more throughout the journey that, that you're on. I love that. Effortless, effortful. That's great. Cool. What are your long-term goals for coaching? I'm, I'm probably at a, a crossroads about where, where I am. I've been working with the England under 18s for a number of years. So I think I need to really sit down now and think about where I want to go next. I'm coaching at a Prem level club. We got promoted to Prem last year and loving that hockey as well, loving what I'm doing with the England under 18s. And I, you know, I went into coaching with the sort of the philosophy is the reason I'm doing it is because I absolutely love coaching and 
I will continue to do it while I love coaching, which I think is a mantra that I come back to and that opportunities will come my way as they do along the way. And if the door opens, I'll walk through that door. And I suppose I, I would have hoped some more doors might have opened more than they have done. So I think that's a little bit of the frustration that I have as a sort of a, a female coach. And so actually a lot of my efforts are also helping and supporting female coaching to really start seeing can we can we move the dial and have more female coaches at head coach level coaching countries and you know at the top level of performance we're so so behind and mm-hmm. um, I think there's a lot of women out there now that are uniting to start sharing their stories so let's see if we can really start switching that dial so I'm very passionate about that and that's something that's kind of at the heart of who I am as a coach and I always see myself as a role model as a coach your love of coaching needs to sit at the heart of all of it and you do you just you, you get such a buzz being on a pitch you know or, or coaching with a group of people it's, it's um, such a fulfilling feeling and you want that for for more people at the level that they deserve to be at as well so um yeah what do you think it's going to take to move the needle to greater parity um i think there's probably some real pragmatic things that can be put in place you know making sure that recruitment processes are robust and recognize that biases do exist because they do are not unlike some of the business world recruitment processes and um, but i also think there probably needs to be greater awareness developed around what good coaching looks like and the role of females within that and i think there's also uh, a lot of work where actually if we get more females uniting together and they get a shared voice because i think sometimes within the system you can feel like there's something wrong with me or you know it's me and i'm on my own whereas actually if you feel you're not alone and there's other voices that can give you real strength as well you know it's like your podcast here and sharing these stories i think the impact that these stories can have on people to recognize actually others feel this way too and actually i can find my motivation to take that that next step so so i think there's a lot of practical things that we can do but i think uniting together to really shape that is you know what's really needed and that is happening there's absolutely momentum at the moment so it's about really uh helping that momentum to go to that next level. Mm-hmm. I love that you brought it up. I think it's really amazing how impactful it is to know that you're not alone. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, I think there was a, there's a, yeah, there's a campaign here, I don't know, in the UK, this Girl Cam campaign, which was around looking to encourage women to participate and be active in sports. And one of the biggest insights they have was to recognize that you're not alone that there's other women that feel this way as well. And just like, if I'm going to get off the couch, it's not just me sitting on the couch as other women. And actually just knowing that propels people to be motivated. So to share those feelings in itself, you know, it's a simple thing, but it can have a massive impact and that's within our control to share. Mm-hmm. You mentioned women coaching and what women coaches can bring to the sport. So what do you think that women coaches do bring to the sport, to any sport? Well, I get it. Yeah, and I think to any sport, to any business, all of the research shows teams that have diversity in them are more successful. So, yes, women, you know, gender, of course, race, everything. I think we should be looking to make up teams with diversity in them because we come with different perspectives. We've got different lenses of the world. You know, if you look at the top leadership skills traits females are massively aligned with leadership 
traits, you know, empathy, being able to listen, having deep relationships, all the things that people look for in leaders. And then the thing that males often over-index are, are on risk-taking and making quick decisions. And sometimes then there's where the job decision goes to, you know, well, they're better at making risks and tough decisions. So we'll choose the male over the female. And in these contexts, even though women are kind of topped in all of these other traits, and that's some of the bias in the system that's built in that way. But also the research shows that actually women make better decisions over long term. So I think it's about everyone looking at their strengths and respecting that we all have strengths, that we bring different things to the story, to the world that we're looking to make. So, yeah, and obviously that's just at a kind of gender level or at a top level, but each individual also brings so much to the story. And I think you know, even if I look in the sort of female world of coaching, I, you know, I look at how many of the coaches within, let's say, the GB hockey or even just all across the world are male. There's so few females, but so many females have played this sport and know what it feels like to be on the pitch and knows what it feels like to be a woman in a team. I think that perspective can be really valuable within that world as well. So, so yeah, if, if we want to be more successful, we've got to look at ways to create diversity in our coaching teams and within our business teams. Right, right. I have my first female coach that I've had since grade school, I don't know, forever. And I'm just flabbergasted what a difference it makes. I mean, I would never have expected. And and what way has it been a difference for you? I think, you know, and I'm sort of embarrassed to say this, but I like her sense of being able to congratulate me when I'm successful. And also she seems to offer a better perspective of the kind of work that I'm doing. You know, she's able to put it into a bigger perspective. So at club level, I co-coach with Kate Richardson-Walsh. Kate, she's been the GB captain for, gosh, for quite a number of years. And obviously captain who led them to gold medal success and the two of us are co-coaching together and it's a superb model for us to be able to bounce off each other but we're coaching a a group of female athletes and I think the respect we all have for each other and the value and the listening I mean we don't get it right all the time but there's there's a really sense of togetherness in this journey and you know and there's a power to that as well but I absolutely agree that congratulating and really recognizing when people have put that effort in to be successful and and also to be seen through that process is, is so important. Well, before we finish, I have to ask you about your wellness center in Italy. Tell me more about that. I mean, now's not the time to go, but I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. No, I know. Can we go anywhere right now? Right, exactly. But, um, yeah, so I had this dream. And actually, when I was a teenager, I had a dream of like having a sports kind of center. And then it sort of evolved into a wellness retreat and so a number of years ago I went to Italy and found an old rune and gotten in motion finding partners and we we turned that rune into um, a beautiful villa now in the countryside in the rolling hills of La Marche and it's got a pool and a, a, a converted barn into a yoga studio and so yes we, we run retreats out there that really you know help people to flourish And we very much explore sort of four pillars of flourishing, which is around optimism, uh, where we can learn optimism. It's one of the fundamental character traits that we can build to be more successful and happier in life. We put a big focus on grit, growing our gritty selves, 
And also, uh, we put a big focus on flow. How can you create more flow in your everyday life, in your career or, you know, as a parent, whatever it is important for these people. And then, you know, at the heart of all of this is around the idea of mastery. You know, people who are most fulfilled in life have something in their life where they're mastering skills and growing and getting better and, you know, having a higher purpose kind of fits into that as well. So we go to Italy and spend five days or so um, walking in the hills, doing some real coaching in around these areas and eating good Italian food and drinking good <laughs> wine. So and doing some mindfulness and yoga. I could spend my whole year there, but it doesn't quite work that way. Right, right. And how do we stay on top of when you're doing those retreats? Yeah, so I, I think on my Twitter account, okay, I'll definitely share information on that and links as well. So yeah, terrific. Great. And how are you staying physically active these days yourself? Well, yeah, I just went for a nice walk there myself. You know, making sure every day you're getting out and going for a lovely walk. I've got a big forest near me, so that's absolutely great. I've got an eight-year-old son who keeps me very active. We started our day this morning with some mindfulness. He's got some cards, and we pick a card, and we do a different mindfulness activity. So, uh, yeah, so I think you got a you got a role model flourishing in your everyday, especially when you've got your young son to bring up as well as part of that. You go always feel you could do more, but, you know, you got to find a way. Right. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you wish I did? No, I think that was great. I really enjoyed our conversation and love what you're doing. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, I think it's great hearing all of these amazing stories. And I think they can all inspire us, you know, so thank you. Well, thank you for saying so. I appreciate that. You're a star. Thank you so much. Yeah, really lovely to talk to you today. You too. Thank yep. you. Thanks. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. And that's it for this week's show. Head over to hearhersports.com to find more about Sarah and links to some of the things she mentioned. The most important thing to do is share this episode with your favorite women and sporty friends. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at hearhersports. It really makes my day to hear from listeners, so send an email to elizabeth at hearhersports.com or call our hotline at 725-BE-BADASS, 725 725- 222-3277. Our design is by Agnes Studio and music by the band Goldmines. Wishing everyone incredibly strong health and don't touch your face. Till next time, bye-bye. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.